0: everyone. My name is Ari and welcome to Made of Metal, a motivational podcast where we tell stories about regular people overcoming insurmountable odds. So great rising and welcome to yet another grand adventure into the greats of history. Really excited. I mean, we are in June, number one. That's one thing to be excited about. (laughs) And it is a great month for so many reasons. I mean, so many changes coming along on the home front. Some are so transformative, but I mean, just on a personal level, it's just been so amazing growing and sharing so much of myself with you on this podcast. It's just been so helpful in helping me find my own voice and learn how to love myself more authentically. You know, getting really deep with you guys right now. (laughs) But I really want to share my journey and skills with as many of you as I can. So more to come on that later. And of course, with it being Pride Month, a month dedicated to the awareness and preservation of loving who you love, I am just basking in all this love energy and just having an awesome start to summer. Like, it's just been amazing. But I wanted to recognize this month and make an effort to feature LGBTQ figures throughout history who've helped shape the landscape of LGBTQ rights today. And with that being said, the individual I chose for this episode is considered a revolutionary and trailblazer in the realm of LGBTQ awareness and advocacy. This individual inspired an entire movement by simply living out loud and without fear in a very scary and inhospitable world. This individual displayed immense courage and strength as they moved forward through daily life in spite of the multiple threats on their well-being at almost every moment. Like they never had a moment of peace. The awe-inspiring determination to fight for what she believed in, just the basic rights of being acknowledged and treated like a human being, which seems like the bare minimum, but it's sometimes the hardest fight of all. I personally have learned so much about this individual throughout my lifetime, but very little in terms of detail, and usually, of course, only during Pride Month. So I can honestly say I've never really deep dove into the details of their life. So this was a really interesting read for me. And even what little I knew made me admire this person. Like I just aspired to have that same level of fearlessness to live out loud without letting the judgment of others dictate your character, which is really difficult, you know, especially as somebody who grew up with a toxic mother, you know, you're constantly having to fight that negative thought cycle. So I just really respected a person who could, I mean, essentially deal with that negative thought cycle manifesting outside of themselves and still continue on. And of course, I've always been drawn to underdog figures, as you guys very well know. So it was just beyond satisfying for me to share the story with you all. So without further ado, this week, we'll be covering the quirky, the quaint, the queen, Marcia P. Johnson, or known by her birth name, Malcolm Michaels Jr. Marsha P. Johnson was born as Malcolm Michaels Jr. on August 24, 1945, in Elizabeth, New Jersey, to his parents, Malcolm, in Alberta. Malcolm was the fifth child born to his parents, who would go on to have two more children, so seven children in all. Religion was a strong theme in their household, and the family would spend much of their time in church or studying scriptures at home. The religious lifestyle also translated to their local community, making the church a central place to socialize and connect with your neighbors. Malcolm knew at a young age that he didn't quite fit in with the social norms surrounding the gender restrictions for men and women. Regardless. In early childhood, Malcolm wore dresses until he received backlash from the local community. The concept of accepting LGBT individuals didn't exist in society at this point, making Malcolm an oddity within his household and ostracized within his community. Reportedly, Malcolm's mother told him that homosexuality was akin to being lower than a dog which should give you an idea of the negativity that surrounded Malcolm on a daily basis. Which, by the way, I despise that statement for a number of reasons. It just rubs me the wrong way. Like, ugh. In 1963, Malcolm would graduate from high school in New Jersey and turned his attention to the Big Apple to start a new life. Malcolm was heading to New York City with less than $20 and a few clothes, but nothing more. Essentially, going to a new place to start a new life is a daunting feat, even with the best of support and resources. So the fact that he was doing this just off the cuff with basically nothing is just incredible. Malcolm's new life required a hustle and he began working as a server within the city for tips. Unfortunately, his server pay wasn't enough to make ends meet, shocker, and Malcolm fell on hard times. Eventually, Malcolm ended up homeless in the vibrant and bustling Greenwich Village, an area that was much more tolerant of alternative lifestyles. It was during this period of homelessness and hustling on the streets fully stepping into a dangerous and risky lifestyle without any other viable options, that Malcolm really began to step into city life. Malcolm also suffered with mental health issues that were just beginning to manifest as he was being overwhelmed with the rough city life. Being homeless and having a complete lack of community was beginning to take its toll. In 1966, returning to the streets after another stint in jail, Malcolm was motivated to live his truth, and he would officially come out as gay and into his new persona as Marsha P. Johnson. Marsha P. Johnson was a drag queen name that Malcolm put together from a variety of places, such as the restaurant she worked at, as well as a testament to her feelings around gender. When people would ask Marsha what the P stood for in her name, she said it was pay it no mind, which was her standard response when people would ask about her gender as well. Which, by the way, I absolutely love that response because I can only imagine how off putting it was for her to constantly be asked this question as to what her gender is. So her response is just so perfect, just so ambiguous. Why does it matter? Pay it no mind. Marsha officially identified herself as gay and a drag queen at the time, but would likely fall under the gender non-conforming expression in today's terms. Marcia's style could be described as feminine, but due to her tenuous financial situation, she wasn't able to buy the flashy fashion she desired. In any case, she would often be seen in drag in long flowy dresses, a bright wig, and tall red heels, complete with a fresh flower crown or fruit in her hair. But Marcia wouldn't just dress as someone perceived as feminine, but also she would mix the clothing norms for masculine and feminine, such as wearing full makeup with a shirt and pants all of which was completely new and pioneering for those within the LGBT community, as they had traditionally been taught to be invisible and not to draw attention to themselves. Marsha was also quite active in the local arts community in support of LGBT visibility, often arriving in full drag for activism events. (laughs) Gosh, like I am absolutely in love with this energy because... I mean, although she didn't have the best domestic circumstances, obviously living on the street and having to essentially hustle all the time, she clearly spent her days spreading the love wherever she went with her outfits and attitude. It's just awesome. Speaking of which, activism was always a large part of Marsha's life, from supporting the drag queen movement to being an advocate for HIV AIDS awareness. One of the biggest activist events that Marsha attended, and just may have well started, was the Stonewall Uprising in 1969. The Stonewall Inn was a bar that had traditionally and historically only allowed gay men to attend in New York. On the very first night of allowing women and drag queens, a violent riot broke out between the patrons and the police. Marsha was credited with being one of the main individuals who were attempting to prevent the police from hurting other patrons. Reportedly, the police set fire to the bar on the second night, and the residents of Greenwich Village took to the streets in a series of protests against the insane treatment. After the Stonewall Uprising, Marsha became an even more prominent figure in LGBT rights she would become a member of the Gay Liberation Front, which promoted furthering LGBT rights and visibility. On June 28, 1970, Marsha would march in the very first ever Gay Pride Rally, an incredible milestone for the LGBT community. That very next month at NYU, Another protest event was held after the school canceled a dance upon learning it was being sponsored by an organization that was affiliated with the LGBT movement. Marsha was instrumental in these protests, and another one of her crowning achievements was co-founding the STAR organization. STAR stands for Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries and they focused on LGBT activism and providing housing to homeless gay and trans youth. The STAR organization would go so far as providing resources such as mental support, a family, and even essentials like food and clothes to the often overlooked and mistreated youth within the gay and drag community. Even when they were evicted from their location, the house existed in several different locations and iterations for many lifetimes. Surprisingly, Marsha herself also dealt with resistance from within the LGBT community, as some felt that she was too flamboyant for the movement and was negatively portraying the LGBT lifestyle. In spite of this backlash, Marcia and her fellow advocates still participated in as many parades and rallies as they could, never staying quiet about fighting for what they believed in. A little-known fact about Marcia's life is that, although gay marriage was illegal in the U.S. at the time, Marcia would tell others that she had a husband who passed away, which means she was even a pioneer in the realm of gay marriage not allowing the country's refusal to acknowledge her union as a reason to deny its existence. In 1980, Marsha would begin living with a friend, Randy, who didn't want to see her go through another winter living on the streets. Randy's partner was diagnosed with AIDS, and Marsha spent much of her time as his nurse and caregiver, helping him with basic needs and treatment. Marsha was exposed to other AIDS patients throughout her time caring for Randy's partner, and this inspired her to take up the cause even more. Just as a reminder, Marsha was also HIV positive and deeply impacted by the lack of acknowledgement for those suffering with the virus. It should also be highlighted that throughout this entire time, Marsha was also dealing with severe mental health issues which sometimes would result in psychotic breaks or being committed to the local mental hospital. In spite of her health issues, Marcia continued to take part in protesting and advocacy. As the social and political climate for gay rights was seemingly getting better, the threats of violence against members of the LGBT community were on a dangerous rise in New York City which Marsha was actively protesting against. As Marsha aged, close friends described her physical state as fragile, which made her passing a shock to all. Marsha Pay It No Mind Johnson passed away on July 6, 1992. Sometimes I don't really like to share how the person passed away because I feel like it can sometimes distract and detract from their life story, but I had to share this about Marsha. In 1992, following the Gay Pride Parade, Marsha was found deceased in the Hudson River. At the time, although the police had very little evidence to support this, her death was ruled a suicide. Her friends and family did not support the police findings, strongly denying that Marcia was suicidal, although acknowledging that she was battling her own demons. Marcia considered herself religious and would often be seen at local churches, which made suicide even less probable for those who knew how devout she was. At the time, the police were extremely biased against the LGBT community, so Marcia's death was never investigated as anything but a suicide the case was fought to be reopened again as a homicide investigation in 2016 by Victoria Cruz of the Anti-Violence Project. Her work was actually featured in a documentary called The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson that was released in 2017. Now, for me, this story was inspiring and heart-wrenching. I mean, it was Honestly, difficult for me to write this after I finished all my research, after I really absorbed and understood all the progress that we'd made in the LGBTQ space. I mean, it's truly mind-blowing that this woman was murdered in 1992. I mean, I was born, I'm going to age myself, in the early 90s, in you know, you hear about things like this and you're just you just think you're so far removed from it because you've never really been exposed to it to the level, I guess, that it it was. But I just never, ever would have thought that recent. And I know there's some people like recent. That was more than 30 years ago. It was. But to me, I think that was only 30 years ago. So it's just a matter of perspective. And I just really couldn't get over her death and how tragic it was. It was just so sad. But also looking on the other side of it to understand that she was doing all of this activism on behalf of others because she had her own health problems. So she knew she might not be able to enjoy the outcomes of all of her hard work and activism. You know, and then on top of that, having to deal with not being accepted by your community and, you know, taking a step further, not being accepted by the gay community, the one you actually identify with, the one you actually fight for the rights for. I mean, just crazy. Like with all of this resistance, all of this pushback and lack of support, Marsha was still vocal and active in helping the LGBTQ community, and helping others not go through the same pitfalls she experienced while on the streets. I mean, the STAR organization that she started, that is great, great work, you know, helping gay and trans youth because they are an underserved demographic that may be going through serious issues. I mean, truly a visionary who may not have been able to save themselves, but worked tirelessly to save the lives of others. And I just respect that. I have so much respect for that. And of course, you guys know I had to end it with a great quote, which I think is super fitting, seeing as how history made her an icon of her time. So here's the quote. History isn't something you look back at and say it was inevitable. It happens because people make decisions that are sometimes very impulsive, And of the moment. But those moments are cumulative realities. So you can check us out at our website, madeofmetalpodcast.com. And you can also follow us on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. And that's Made of Metal. M-E-T-T-L-E. So by now you should have received, if you're on my email list, if you're not on my email list, join, join, join. If you are on my email list, you should have received an email about a super secret giveaway. Won't announce it here, but please participate. I would love to get your feedback. I would love to give out some free stuff. And I love coffee. I thought the prize was amazing actually something I might get myself. So yeah, please, please, please. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So thank you so very much for listening. I love each and every one of you. And please do not forget to bloom where you are planted.